It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is CUDA Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, Barracuda fans, and welcome to another edition of CUDA Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger. The Barracuda picked up back-to-back wins in Colorado the weekend prior before returning back to the SAP Center on Friday for their 2021-22 home opener. What made Friday so special was it also marked the return of fans inside the SAP Center for a Barracuda game in over 500 days. San Jose's opponent, the same Colorado Eagles, who on Wednesday were dropped 5-4 by the Bakersfield Condors at the Mechanics Bank Arena and entered Friday's game with an 0-4-0-1 record. Despite not earning winning results, the Eagles have been in almost every game so far this year. Four of their five losses have been decided by just a single goal, including the two games against the Barracuda the weekend prior. In the first period, the Barracuda got off to a picture-perfect start. At 3.52, forward Noah Gregor got things started with his second goal of the year and second in as many games. Uh, against Mikel Multsev, who came over in a trade this offseason between Colorado and New Jersey. Those two, Multsev and Merkley, were teammates with the New Jersey Devils a season ago. Multsev in a second-rounder came to Colorado in that trade that included Ryan Graves. Here's a chance for Gregor on a turnover. He scores! Noah Gregor intercepts a puck and sneaks it quickly inside the right post. And Gregor, who had the game-winner on Saturday, has another goal here in the Barracuda drop for his blunt three minutes and 52 seconds into the first period. Then at 627, former Eagle and Colorado Avalanche draft pick Nick Malosh made it 2-0 Barracuda with his first regular season goal in over 73 games. In fact, the last time he scored in the regular season, he was still a member of the Colorado Eagles. Here's a chance for Reedy. Hits the breaks, top left circle, waits for support, spots a man in Malosh entering the zone. Rister, he scores! But in the first period at 11:22, Timur Ibrahimov was called for interference and the Eagles would put on the ice one of the AHL's top power play units that had managed to score in each of its first five games. Well, they made it six for six on their first power play look as Kiefer Sherwood pounded in a one-timer off the left dot to cut the lead in half. 22 attempts, 36.4%. One-timer, they score. Kiefer Shortwood off the left flank, just atop the dot, pounds one home, just gets it. That's the blocker of Mel Nichuk and inside the post. And Colorado finds a way. You do not want to play with Colorado's power play. In the second period, John Leonard intercepted a puck in the neutral zone, raced in on net on a partial breakaway, and got back-to-back shots off, which were both turned aside by Eustace Oninen. Colorado quickly transitioned the puck back up ice, and Gabriel Fontaine would snap in a shot past Alexei Melnichuk to tie it up at 2-2 at the 8.40 mark of the middle frame. 
And it's won by the Eagles. Intercepted though by Leonard. He'll split the D. Works in. Save is made. And the rebound came back to Leonard. But Onenden came over and made the stop. Shot out of a cannon was John Leonard. He intercepted it like an offensive back. Rushed up ice. And Onenden made back-to-back saves. And then a one-timer. And Colorado scores. Just like that in transition. A bomb entering the zone by Gabriel Fontaine. And we are tied at 2-2. After giving up a power play goal on its first kill of the night, the Barracuda would go 6-for-6 six six after that point, as they were called for seven minor penalties in the hockey game, the most so far this season. In the third, San Jose would go on to another power play itself, and this time, John Leonard would score, cashing in for his second of the season to give the Barracuda a 3-2 lead. So the faceoff will be placed to the right side of Onadin. 49 seconds left on that penalty to Bokosh. And it's cleared out of the zone as Colorado wins the defensive zone faceoff draw. Eagles will keep out those four skaters on the penalty kill. Ryan Merkley guides one along for Jaden Olbguak. Steps over the center stripe. Navigates into the offensive zone just barely onside. Olbguak gives along for Leonard. Under the circle. Swings it in on net. Caroms wide. Kept alive though by Blickville. Down low for Scott Reedy. Ready trying to shed a eagle. Back to the half wall for Blickville. Back to the point for Merkley. Merkley works around his man. Right-handed shot. Back to the left side. Blickville's big rebound. Leonard, he scores! It came right to John Leonard, and he put it into an open four by six. And the Barracuda take their lead back here in the third period. But at 12:25, former Tucson Roadrunner Jordan Gross would rip in a short side top shelf shot to tie the game up at 3-3. Hamilton will pinch from the point. He's played a lot tonight, Rob Hamilton. Now Gross from the right side scores. Jordan Gross picks the top short side corner. But again in the third, the Barracuda would go back onto the power play. And again, they would recapture their lead. At 16-32, Nick Merkley would swing one into an open net to give the Barracuda a 4-3 lead. That puck did not miss by much. Shemolevsky back down the wall. Up to the point. Chichet. Indirect pass. Shemolevsky. One-timer. Nick Merkley. He scores! Unfortunately, on the ensuing faceoff, just eight seconds after Merkley's goal, Colorado would fire the puck in deep. It would carry him off the back stanchion, jet right in front of the net, and Mikhail Maltsev would fire it into the open cage, beating Melnichuk to tie the game up at 4-4. He's up to five points on the year of four games, and the Barracuda have multiple power play goals and two straight, and a shot they score. A puck came off the back wall at Karam right in front for Mikhail Maltsev, and he put it just out of the crossbar, it went in. It came out as fast as it went in. After Colorado's late goal, the game would need overtime. In overtime, the Barracuda would begin on the power play, unsuccessfully capturing the victory. And back at three-on-three play, Kiefer Sherwood would find the net again to pick up Colorado's first victory of the year, 5-4 in overtime. Sakura, former Chicago Blackhawk, will bring it up ice. Sakura into the offensive zone. Left side, Sherwood. Shot scores! Kiefer Sherwood from distance picks the top corner, and the Colorado Eagles are in the win column for the first time in 2021-22. Here was head coach Roy Sommer following his team's 5-4 OT loss. Yeah, actually, we 
I thought we had the game won three times and uh, you know we kept giving it back to them and then you know we had opportunities on the you know the four on three at the end and had a lot of really good looks power play was solid penalty killing was solid I think we were two for four they were one for eight um, five on five I thought we spent a little too much time in our own end at times we didn't kill plays and let in a couple ones I thought we should have had but you know that's kind of that's hockey yeah I mean you know they, they scored off the first one right off the bat and I thought we were in trouble then we took a four then we take a four minute late and uh, like I say we killed seven straight after that and you know that takes a lot of juice out of the guys you're looking because the guys that are killing are also eating up some minutes five on five so takes a little bit of jump out of their game um, but like I said, we had we had chances. Their goalie made some saves, and uh, you know, we, you know. But overall, it was disappointing. But we got a point. Yeah, th- th- like we've got the majority of them are going. We still got some guys that are sleeping through it. Um, but they'll get rolling. Um, you know, I thought the Merkley, the Wings, Gregor line, you know, was dangerous tonight. They created a lot with their speed and tenacity. Um, you know, they made some plays. But you're right, we got to get a few more guys going. I mean, we'll score goals. It's keeping them out of our net that's the worrisome part. Following Friday's Barracuda game, the Sharks on Saturday morning announced they'd be recalling five skaters from the Barracuda as they place seven players on the COVID-19 protocol list. All five players recalled from the Barracuda to the Sharks would get into Saturday's game against the Winnipeg Jets as the Sharks managed to pick up a 2-1 overtime win thanks to an OTW from Timo Meyer. Unfortunately, the organization was not out of the woods when it came to COVID-19 as Barracuda goalie coach Danny Sabrin tested positive the following day as well as forward Noah Gregor and goalie Zach Sachenko forcing the AHL to postpone the Barracuda's previously scheduled game, which would have taken place on Halloween in Stockton. On Monday, the Barracuda announced the recall of forwards Kyle Topping and Jake McGrew, as well as defenseman Montana Anibucci and goalie Zach Amon from the ECHL's Orlando Solar Bears. As of Tuesday, the Barracuda roster sits at three goalies, six defensemen, and 13 forwards. When Cuda Confidential returns, we will be joined by the Director of Business Operations for the Barracuda, Eric Grunfast. This is Cuda Confidential. Now, back to the action. Barracuda Hockey continues now. Pleased to be joined by the Director of Business Operations and the Barracuda's alternate governor, Eric Grunfast. First of all, Grundy, thank you for the time. What's going on? Hey, Nick. How are you? Uh, I'm excellent. I'm excellent. We just got through a week. Of course, it was an adventure. We were supposed to play, what, two games. We played our first on home ice and first game in front of fans in over 500 days. So that was a welcomed uh, return of fans. And and we thought we we're going to play Sunday, and now we're, we're running through a little bit of a COVID situation throughout the organization. But we realized last year we can deal with uh, with adjustment and postponement and all the things that go into to what is our current situation and our current living situation. But things are good. How, how are things for you? You've been now here for a couple months. You're still kind of getting your feet under you. Still, I'm sure, getting used to the area. Your family's kind of settling in, your wife and your dogs. But um, how are things going, adjusting to a new state, a new city, and now a new organization for you after spending, what, the last eight years in Iowa with the Wild? 
Yeah, things are uh, things are good. We're uh, we're happy to be in uh, in the Bay Area. It's uh, you know how can you beat the weather here? It's gorgeous, right? It's it's uh, just a little bit warmer, just a little bit colder every day, but uh, stays consistent. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're getting settled. We we settled in Campbell, so just outside downtown. But uh, we're loving it. You know, it's a great organization. A lot of excitement around. Uh, around this season and, and having fans at games again. And, and you can really feel the energy in, uh, in the building this past Friday. And, and I think that's only going to grow as, uh, as the season goes on. And, uh, and we begin to implement some new things that'll uh, really, uh, really grab the attention of our ticket base and, uh, and everything we're doing to build up for, for the new arena next year. It was funny. I said it on air, even if there was, and there was more than 500 people, but even if there was only 500 people at the game, it would have been a welcomed addition because of the, all the games we played last year in empty buildings and all the games that we played at the practice ring, just to have a little bit of energy in the building can go a really long way. And it helps from a broadcast standpoint, because you've got some natural sound. And I know the players certainly uh, enjoyed having fans back in the building as well. For some of the young players, guys who are rookies last season, it was the first time they played in, front of fans, at least home fans, in their professional careers. So it was a pretty big deal to have fans back inside the SAP Center. It was a lot of fun uh, to, to see some Barracuda jerseys and, and, again, to feel the energy of fans in the building. An unfortunate finish to the game as the club falls in overtime. He does earn a point, so I guess we'll all take that, and it's now points in three consecutive games. I mentioned your wife. We always like to, to dive in a little bit deeper on the podcast because it's a long form. You've got a wife, you've got a couple of dogs. So tell us a little bit about your wife. And was it an easy sales job, if you will, to, to get her out to California when this job and opportunity presented itself? You know, Nick, that's a good question. Um, you know, it was, it was really tough to get her to Iowa. She's, uh, we're both from the Northeast. She's from Connecticut. I'm from New York. So moving out of the North, Northeast in New England was tough. Um, for her, but, um, when I came out and interviewed with the uh, leadership team here, um, she was fortunate enough to be able to come out and join me. And when we are here, I think it was, I don't know, 75 degrees, sunny, no humidity. Um, she saw the, uh, the writing on the wall with, uh, we went to Santa Cruz in your backyard there, went to the beach, went to the boardwalk when we were here. And, and honestly, just fell in love with the area. Uh, being from New England, we grew up with the mountains. We grew up with the beach. And uh, don't get me wrong, Iowa was great. We were there for eight years. Um, it became home for us. It was, it, Iowa was beautiful in its own way. And, uh, and people really nice. But um, when we landed back in Iowa, I, uh, I asked my wife this question. I said, uh, Sarah, Iowa or California? And before I could get the words out, she said, California. So at that point, I knew that we were moving to California. Again, it's, it's 3,000 miles from, from where we uh, both live and our families live back northeast. But, um, you know, a plane ride's a plane ride, right? Whether you're in Iowa or California. So we, um, we fell in love with the place here. And uh, again, how can you beat it? It's, it's gorgeous here. You, you don't even need to leave the state to, uh, to vacation. So um, she uh, and she's fell in love with the fact that she can run and bike all year. Uh, she's an avid uh, outdoors lady and uh, likes to, uh, to bike and run. And she's currently training for another marathon. So 
the fact that uh, she can run a different trail every day or run a different route every day and, uh, and really get out, enjoy the scenery. And uh, in the city is, is something that she, uh, she really enjoys. Um, and the dogs love it too, right? They can be outside all the time. Uh, currently in Iowa, again, I, I loved Iowa, but currently in Iowa, it's 40 degrees and raining. So um, we're really soaking in what we have currently. But we just had a little bit of weather. So maybe that reminded you of being back, at least in the Northeast, maybe a little bit of Iowa too. We didn't have rain for what felt like a full year. And then all of a sudden we got hit with this, this full-blown storm. And I think everybody was scrambling to try to adjust. Uh, I saw multiple accidents on the road and, and just what goes into rain in California because it is very, very rare. But um, I'm sure your wife is enjoying living out here because there are a lot of things for her to do outside. And you mentioned all the 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 physical activities that she enjoys like biking and running so i'm sure she's made herself pretty comfortable so far in the in the early going i, I want to go quickly back to to where it all began for you and, and your career in the american hockey league I, I know you grew up going to hockey games and that's where the passion kind of began for you but if, if you don't mind filling us in on where it all started for you in the AHL, because I know before Iowa, you spent eight years there and you had great success. But before that, you were with another franchise. So tell us about your history in the American Hockey League. Yeah, so I started my career two days after college in 2008. I started midseason in uh, December, January with the Albany River Rats. For those of you that are historians, um, the Albany River Rats at that time were affiliated with the uh, – Carolina Hurricanes and uh, shortly after we were I was there for two seasons and then the team was sold and relocated to what's now the Charlotte Checkers so after that it was you know it was time to, to find a new job and um, luckily enough our president in uh, in Albany was able to help us um, find new locations so I, uh, I landed in Providence with the Providence Bruins and I was there for four seasons I oversaw uh, group ticket sales and corporate partnerships in uh, Providence for four seasons. And then uh, came about a rare opportunity to, uh, to move to Iowa and launch a new franchise. And uh, it really is a rare opportunity. The team had, was relocated from Houston, which was formerly the Houston Arrows. Excuse me. And um, they... Uh, you know, they're good proximity in Iowa to the Minnesota Wild, which uh, the Minnesota Wild owned the Iowa Wild franchise and uh, in a market that was that is and, and was booming. Right. Um, if you look on Forbes, it's the number one market in the, uh, the country for young professionals. So a really ripe market for uh, for success with the right leadership team there. So. Um, when I was in Iowa, I started off overseeing the uh, the ticket sales, which was the primary way for us to grow the business um, and eventually worked my up as a VP of sales there. So I oversaw ticket sales, corporate sales, uh, merchandise, and all the service for the organization. And it really culminated um, the last full regular season before COVID hit. Um, we won the AHL team of the year. And that was for our success, both on the ice and off the ice, what we did on the business side as well. So um you know, it was exciting. A, a team in a market that had a team in the past starred the Iowa Stars and the Iowa Chops, um, where that team failed. And we knew that there could be success with the right leadership and the right uh, presence in place. And, and we proved that. So 
um, that leads to where I am today, right, is uh, in San Jose, and, and we're teaching or we're retreating this a relaunch and and uh, and a new start to the franchise in San Jose with the new arena coming aboard next year. So it's um, that's that's one of the main reasons I came here, and you know I think they reached out to me was um, you know I've had success in the past of launching a franchise in a market where there's there's an appetite for hockey and affordable family fun. So um, that leads to where we're at today. Well, Des Moines is a different market, right, than San Jose. But there are some parallels, I think, and there's something that hasn't been quite tapped into. And you mentioned it. It's the family fun entertainment. There's different price points in the Bay Area. You know, there's a lot of money in the Bay Area because of the tech industry. But then there's a lot of families, too, right, who are still trying to find things to do with their families and get out of their houses and, and, and enjoy time together. And I think the Barracuda can kind of slide into that area at a much more affordable price point than even going to maybe going to see a movie. Right. You go and see a movie, you're spending over 100 bucks. You may not be doing that if you're coming to a Barracuda game. So I want to ask before we, we look ahead to the position you're currently at in San Jose, I want to talk a little bit about Iowa and some of the successes and maybe some of the failures that you dealt with over your time there. What were a few of the things that really worked? What do you think kind of changed from the Iowa Chops and even the Iowa Stars to the rebrand of the Iowa Wild? What, what made the Iowa Wild and what you guys did so successful? What were a few of the things that maybe didn't quite work and that you learned from? You know what? One thing we learned early on is you you needed to connect to the community and have a story to tell, and and so we created a story that not only are we ultimately selling hockey and selling a, a family experience, um, but we had to create a story in Iowa. So our our story was not only affordable family fun, but we were going to be an integral part of the community. So. Um, some of the things that we did, for example, we would donate over $400,000 back into the market uh, each year um, from things like food drives to toy drives, clothes drives, uh, jersey auctions, um, really, uh, really owning the fact that we had to give back to the community that was supporting us. And um, each market's a little bit different. So we knew that Iowa could be uh, and was and ultimately turned into a uh, season ticket market. So um, we, uh, we had a strong season ticket base and then, and from there, it was just really ingraining ourselves into community, into the community and creating good partnerships, both on the, uh, the corporate side and the season ticket side to, uh, to have success. And, uh, and that's what really set us apart um, from the stars and chops is it's, they didn't really have a focus on that. And, uh, and we created a focus on giving back to the community. Um, and that's what, and that's what set us apart. Um, some of the, uh, you know, I think the challenges, um, there were, uh, were when we got into the market, there was a lot of burned bridges in the past from the stars and chops. And we, uh, we had to create relationships and really showcase the fact that, you know, we stood behind what we were talking about. And that's what some of our challenge was for the first two or three years was uh, really getting behind. We were, you know, uh, the old adage is, um, you know, do what you're going to, you know, do what you say. So the proper way to say it, I guess, is, uh, you know, we did what we said we were going to do. Um, the other big challenge, and this is something that was out of our control on the business side, was for the first three seasons, we were the worst team in the American Hockey League. 
So I, I think the first year we won eight home games out of 38. The second year, I think we won 10. Um, during our season ticket renewal campaign, we went two and a half months without winning a game on home ice. So we really struggled with uh, performing on the ice, and that doesn't always help you on the sales side. But, you know, our, our fan base stayed with us and, uh, you know, they really trusted in our vision and what we we're going to do. And in hockey apps, really, they understood what our deficiencies were and, and got behind what we needed to do to, uh, to have success on the ice, which would in turn support our team uh, off the ice. So, the, you know, our, those were some of our challenges, but we were able to overcome those for sure. When you looked at the Barracuda job and the opportunity, it, it's as, un, as unique as it comes in professional hockey, being given the fact that you're in a major market, a top 10 market in the country, but you're also sharing the city with your National Hockey League club. And really, the organization doesn't want the two teams to compete and they don't need to compete. Right. As we mentioned, they're on different playing fields. Right. They're on different levels and, and appealing to different groups. Do you look at that as, as kind of an exciting challenge? And how do you work around having two teams in the market and continuing to kind of grow the Barracuda as a brand, a standalone brand? It's not just the stepbrother of the Sharks or the baby brother of the Sharks. How does the Barracuda stand on its own? You know, I, I think a, a few things, right, is is one, we're starting with the new arena and, and that alone is is going to allow us to tell our own story, have our own home, so to say. We're uh, we're not sharing the ice anymore um, with the Sharks, but uh, you see in some of these other markets and some of these other bigger big markets that are hockey markets like uh you know, Toronto, for example, right? The uh, the Marlies play, right? Where uh, the Maple Leafs play, but they have their own building. And uh, they're a really successful organization. Um, so it can be done. And it's becoming more common in the American Hockey League to have your, your team close or in the same city um, with the amount of people in this market and the amount of entertainment options. For us, it, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier is we're telling the story of uh, affordable family fun. Just like you said, you can get into uh, a Barracuda game for $80 for a family of four. And, you know, you can be out of the arena with, you know, $100 spent on food and beverage um, tickets and uh, and a fun night out for a family of four. So, um, you know, where, again, the Sharks, it's different products, a different brand. Um, You're watching the NHL. um, And those are are probably some more passionate, not, our, and our fans are passionate, so I take that back. But, um, you know, it's a different price point, right? Like, if you're going to a, a Sharks game, you're probably paying, you know, an average ticket price, $60, $70, $80 a ticket. Where for us, you know, an average ticket price may be $15 or $20 a ticket. So you can get into a game more cost-effective and see the future of the Sharks um, on the Barracuda Ice. I mean, you know the numbers. 92% of NHL players... Uh, have come through the American Hockey League. So if you wanted to see the future of the Sharks, you know, come to a Barracuda game and uh, enjoy the family fun atmosphere and the entertainment factor that we put on here. And, uh, and I think that's really where we're going to set ourselves up for success. 
We're talking to Eric Grunfast, Director of Business Operations for the Barracuda. Let's talk about the new building because I know everybody's really excited about what's to come for this next season. It'll open summer of 2022, 4,200-seat facility. But tell us about this brand-new facility that's going to be built this summer and is being built but will be finished this summer. And what uh, what should get fans excited about this new facility? Well, when it's complete, it's going to be the largest hockey or ice facility in North America. Um, we'll have six sheets of ice there and, uh, it'll be, uh, you know, home away from home for, for the sharks and the big club. Um, but with the dedicated arena there, it's going to allow us to do so much more. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have it. It's an intimate setting. We'll have just over 4,200 seats in the building, but, uh, the lower bowl quote unquote, it's only 13 rows high. So if you think about that in SAP center, the lower bowl, what's it? 25 rows high, 30 rows high. So you're going to feel right on top of the players and the atmosphere in that setting is right for an American hockey league team for, for the fans to be right on top of the players, for the players to feel the energy coming from the fans and, uh, and just the things that we can do having our own facility from a player in our interaction standpoint, um, when it comes to meet and greets and post-game skates and autograph sessions and, and the fact that we're going to have a dedicated restaurant there in Calder's um, where we can do pre-game or post-game events. There's, there's so many things that we can do, have in our own venue that are going to set ourselves up for success. Awesome stuff. Eric Grunfest, Director of Business Operations for the Barracuda. We can't thank you enough for the time. I, I just can't wait for the new arena. And I find it uh, incredible. When I was a young kid, I used to go to what was called the ice center and that was what is now sharks ice. There was just two sheets and now to see it expand to six rinks, including arena, it's almost mind boggling, but um, what an awesome thing to be a part of. And I know the fans are going to be extremely excited and we can't wait to pack that thing and have a real home ice advantage in the future, but awesome stuff, Eric, we can't thank you enough. Really excited to have you here and uh, be a part of this future as well. But uh, thank you again for the time. Hopefully we'll have you on here again soon. You got it, Nolly. Thanks. A big thank you to Eric Grunfast for joining us on this episode of CUDA Confidential. A reminder, the Barracuda are scheduled to play on Wednesday at the SAP Center against the Stockton Heat. That's a 7 o'clock puck drop. What well, pregame broadcast coverage starting at sjbarracuda.com slash listen beginning at 6.30. You can also find the game via the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. And you can watch the game, as always, for a small fee at AHLTV.com. For the entire Barracuda organization, I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening and so long until next time.